Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, we've been looking at. So turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there are blue ones probably located underneath the seats around you. You can turn in that Bible to page 948. 948, that'll bring you uh, to Romans chapter 13. Saw a... My wife and I saw a little child, a little toddler, and he was, you know, walking, doing his thing, and on his shirt, it, he had this phrase that said, the rules don't apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. And I was just thinking about that, especially in light of what we've been looking at in Romans 13. I, I would imagine that mom or dad put that on the individual, their toddler, because they thought it was cute. Um, Beloved, the reality is that's not cute. That's really not cute, actually. I know it's, you know, it's a toddler. You know, calm down, Jeremy. I get it. But what it, what it does is it, it emphasizes the exact opposite of what the Bible says. It's a, uh, it's a heart of rebellion. And this is really a problem for humanity because uh, deep within all of us is this, this sin, this rebellion. We're kind of, we're not kind of, we are born with it. Uh, this whole idea of question authority, challenge authority, resist authority, it's not biblical. It is not biblical. In fact, um, let me say this. When you come to, the, when you come to salvation, you, you must come through an individual. That individual is not just Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. He is Savior, beloved, but he's also Lord. That means master, ruler, absolute ruler, sovereign ruler, king. And so when you come, you come in subjection to him, in submission to him. And I'm going to tell you that I think that is why many people do not come. Because they are unwilling to submit their lives to anyone else. They want to continue to remain ruler of their own life. And beloved, if you're saved today, you would still be in that state if it weren't for the grace of God that reached out to you and, and, and opened your eyes and unstopped your ears and broke that hard, stubborn, rebellious heart and drew you to Jesus Christ. You'd be, in, you'd be still that way. But that's really the situation. And in fact, what's happened in Christendom is that the gospel message has over time changed and they've taken the sting out of it by removing the aspect of Jesus' lordship. So come to Jesus, just come. He's this guy, he's always smiling and he's happy and come and he'll save you. And yes, he will save you, but they remove the sting by not mentioning anything about the fact that he calls you to submit to him, to give and surrender your very life to him. He saved you so that he might own you. Huh? And so what we've got going on now is Throughout Christendom, all of these people, supposedly, over the last couple of decades who have come to Christ, did they? Did they? Or did they come to a Jesus that they were comfortable with? One that did not require that they submit their lives to him. One that was not Lord. 
And then when you begin to talk to them about his lordship, they're like, no, 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 I don't know about all that. He, you know, I, he's my savior, but I'll think about the Lord thing later. It doesn't work like that, beloved. He's Lord. And that is where the rub comes, and, and it comes because we are all inherently born rebels. Huh? Now, if you heard the story just recently, too, uh, here off of Rochester in Rancho Cucamonga, two Mustangs racing down Rochester. Man pulls out. This just happened on Wednesday. Man pulls out. Slam! 46-year-old man, dead. Just trying to make his way to home. He's just trying to make his way home, right? Because these, one is 16-year-old and the other one's 20-something. They, they got the 16-year-old. They finally, the 20-year-old turned himself in later. He left the scene of the crime. But listen, beloved, there's laws, right, about driving. Can't race on the streets, Right? But hey, I'm a law unto myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. God gave authority. God gave government. God gave laws for our good, for our protection. And then he calls us to submit to that very government. Romans 13. Verses 1 through 7. Let me read it. This is part three. This won't be the final part. We'll come back next week or next time. We'll come back to uh, taxes. That's, I know, your favorite, your favorite subject. And I just am looking so forward to going through that myself. But we'll come back to that. But today, part three, we'll look at a few more verses. Verse one, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is the word of God, beloved. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Quickly, quickly, I'll review. Everyone, here it is, it's real simple over the past couple of weeks. Everyone is to submit themselves or place themselves under the authority of the governing authorities or the secular rulers that they find themselves presently living under. Okay? Why? Why? Because, well, because the Bible says so. I mean, that should be good enough, but. Tells us why. Because God is the one who stands behind those authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those governing authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Obedience to the governing authorities should be, and we took a little bit covering this, should be rendered unless, unless, here's the disclaimer, obedience to those governing authorities would require us to be disobedient to our God. That's the only time where we can say no. I will not do that. And why is that? Because God is the ultimate authority. He stands at the top of the hierarchy of authority. 
So whenever we are asked or to do something or forbidden from doing something that God would either A, ask us to do or forbid us from doing, then we have to go with the higher authority that is God. And I gave you three examples of that. Proclaiming Jesus Christ, making him known, making disciples. If, if our government or any government were to say, you can't do that, we'd have to respectfully say, I'm going to do it. And whatever the consequences are, they are, but I'm going to do it. I have to obey. Another example would be worship. If we were forbidden from worshiping our God, praying to our God, uh, we could do it biblically. We would, and it's not just we can, we must, because we've commanded, been commanded to worship God. So we must. And then finally, going against the moral commands of the Bible. If we were ever, if the government said, you're going to do this, you're going to murder. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Or even last week I said, call good that which the Bible calls evil. If they, if they want to force us as a church to call something good that the Bible calls evil, such as homosexuality, can't do that. I'm sorry. I can't do that because of what the Bible says. So we left off with the end of verse 2. The end of verse 2. Romans chapter 13, verse 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And this is the last part here. And those who resist, resist what? The governing authorities instituted by God. Those who resist will incur judgment. Uh, well, another translation just says this, bring judgment on themselves. Bring judgment on themselves. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I, I believe that the judgment that Paul refers to here is primarily that which the government brings on lawbreakers. It's the judgment that the government brings on lawbreakers. It is basically the punishment administered by the government that God has established, which a lawbreaker might suffer for their crime. Okay? So in light of verse 2, we know this. It is not only right to submit or to bring ourselves under the governing authorities since they've been instituted by God, but it is also wise. It's wise because to resist or oppose them will result in judgment or punishment. In fact, one Bible translation just says this, considering the last part of verse 2, those who so resist have themselves to thank for the punishment they receive. Now, Paul goes on to elaborate more on the wisdom of subjecting ourselves to the governing authorities in verses 3 and 4. So let's look at that now. Look back at the text. Paul says this, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Uh, Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Okay, and this is where people start to try to move away from the text, or they don't necessarily, some people don't like what it says, they try to give an explanation to try to explain away what Paul might be saying here. But listen, let me just ask you this, is with, with those words there in 3 and 4, is, is Paul suggesting then that rulers or governing authorities are never a terror to good conduct? 
Is he suggesting that? Or how about this? And this has been, some people have actually said this, that he is just naive uh, about the wrong that governments might do or demand that we do. Beloved, he's not naive. Neither is he suggesting that a government can't do bad things. He's not suggesting that. Nor is he naive. He knows the history of Israel. He's not naive. He knows how they were treated by some of the governments that God had placed them under. So, how are we to understand verses 3 and 4? How do we, how do we understand it? Let me suggest to you that what Paul is doing here is he's speaking broadly. He's speaking broadly, and he's presenting the general purpose and practice of government. He's presenting the general purpose and practice of government. And from these verses, we see that that is simply to maintain order in society. How? By punishing and restraining evil behavior and by rewarding and promoting good behavior. Okay? He's just laying down the general principle here of what government does. Doesn't mean they're perfect. And by the way, let me say this, just a side note. Government has limits in this sense. It cannot transform individuals. It cannot change people's hearts. Only the gospel can do that, beloved. Only Jesus Christ can do that. That is the responsibility of the church. That's our job, to make Jesus Christ known because through that, as people come to him in saving faith, they will be transformed. They will be changed. No, what the government does, the government can't do that. The government comes in and uses force and power given to it by God to externally restrain evil. And by that, provide a level of safety and protection for the populace that would otherwise not exist in a fallen world were there no governing authorities. You want to see that this is the case, beloved, and you you probably know, we can look at history, but look at the end of Judges, the book of Judges. Begin in chapter 19. We're not going to do it today. Read it on your own time. Look at chapter 19, but look at what's going on because at the very end of the book, it says that there was no king, no governing authority, and guess what was happening? Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Nobody's accountable to anybody. Read the book of Judges and look to see what that looks like. It's horrific. It's horrific. So then government has been instituted by God to serve a very valuable and important purpose. It is not just a nuisance that we must put up with, okay? But rather an institution established by God for the well-being or good of humanity. That's government. That's how we should see it. One writer says this, Paul's point is that Christians are not to see themselves as free to obey duly constituted authority or not just as they please, which is really the attitude of a lot of people. He goes on to say, submission to duly constituted authority is a divinely instituted good, not an evil to be endured. Just putting up with this government, just putting up with this government, 
Now, beloved, I said this before. It doesn't mean that we don't speak to the government, that we don't speak of injustice, that we don't look to make it a better government. It doesn't mean that. But there's an attitude here. There's a a proper attitude we're to have towards the governing authorities that many lack. And it shouldn't be so for the Christian. I read this quote to you last week. I want to do it again. Concerning government, the world, ever since the fall, when man entered into sin and became sinful, has been in such a state of corruption and depravity that without the powerful obstacle presented by civil government to the selfish and malignant, harmful passions of men, it would be better to live among the beasts of the force than in human society. I couldn't agree more. As soon as its restraints are removed, man shows himself in his real character. You think things are bad? Remove government. You'll see how bad they can get. Take away the governing authorities. You wouldn't want to live in this world then. Another writer goes on to say, basic morality is essential to a workable society. No society can long survive wanton murder, theft, dishonesty, sexual immorality, and violence. Good behavior is essential for any nation's self-preservation. Without it, society self-destructs. And I would say along with that, eventually it's government. Governments know that as well. They won't be able to remain in power if their entire society is crumbling from within. So, Generally speaking, they don't promote murder and rape and these kind of things because there'll be no society left if you were to do such things. By the way, even governments that are oppressive provide a level of security for the common people through the restraint of murder, robbery, rape, and so on. Now, that doesn't justify their oppression But it is still true. So even communist governments provide a level of protection in this area for their people so that they can live, so that they can go throughout their lives and function. Now, reflecting on a a basic role of government in verse 3, Paul asks this question, would you have no fear of the one who is an authority then? Answer, it's real simple. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Uh, The NIV puts it this way, a couple other translations of verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Another translation of the Bible puts it this way. If you do what is right, you won't need to be afraid of your rulers. But watch out if you do what is wrong. You don't want to be afraid of those in authority? Do you? Then do what is right. The one in authority will praise you. Now, I thought I should say something here because it's probably in at least some of your minds. There certainly have been and can be and even exist now exceptions to what Paul is saying here. Okay? And why is that? Because sin messes things up. Sin messes things up and can pervert, does pervert, how rulers and governing authorities behave or exercise their authority. 
And so the result can be in those situations that there might be people doing what is right or doing nothing wrong and yet actually living in fear of certain governing authorities. You know what I'm talking about? I would say racism contributes to this greatly. Yet even in those cases where racism might be involved in rulers acting in a way that is ungodly and unjustifiable, I would just say this, no person should be guilty of providing a legitimate reason for the governing authorities to go after them, a legitimate reason, like breaking the law. Okay? I would also add that the only cure for racism, beloved, is the gospel. It's the gospel. That is what will bring real change to our society. Doesn't mean we shouldn't speak out against those things or things that are not just in that way or look to make change within our society, but ultimately the greatest change will come as people give their lives to Jesus Christ and are transformed from within. Otherwise, it's all kind of just faked. It's phony, but inside there's still hate. And that hate will eventually come out and distort things and make them not as God intended them. But having said all that, Paul's purpose here is not to address the exceptions. There are, there are exceptions, but rather he's stating the norm. As a general rule then, if you are striving to be a law-abiding citizen, if that is what you are doing, then you will, under normal circumstances, have no reason to fear the governing authorities. For they have been instituted by God to punish bad behavior, and reward or approve good behavior. They mix that up sometimes, but as a general rule, that is what they do and have been established to do. They may do that harshly. They may not always do it appropriately, but that is what they do. You can even, again, see that in totalitarian governments or communist governments or even Muslim governments. One writer says, that, let me just say this, but if you're a lawbreaker, though, if you're a lawbreaker, and this is Paul's point, then you should have every reason to be fearful of your government. Every reason. One writer says this, commenting actually uh, in a book called Why Government Can't Save You, he writes, the word terror, terror, in Romans 13, 3, you see it there where he says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, it actually, the original word comes from the same root word that we, that gives us our English term phobia. Phobia. He goes on to say, the civil authority should produce that kind of fear in the lives of those who perpetrate evil. They should. Proper government, proper government will not be a terror to those who perform good works. That category of deeds which is inherently good. Rather, it will be a source of profound terror for those disobedient, law-breaking citizens who engage in that category of deeds which is inherently evil. 
He goes on to say, throughout history, even the most wicked of governments have been a deterrent to major crimes such as murder, rape, and theft. Goes on to say, although it hardly justifies totalitarian systems, the reality is that those regimes often experience lower crime rates than do democratic nations, such as our own. Where we're like, you can't tell us what to do. And we manifest that rebellion by breaking our laws. And of course, because the price that we pay for that may not be as severe as opposed to a totalitarian government, we do it. Huh? But God instituted government that it might strike fear into the hearts of those who would violate his moral law. Why? Because he cares about people. He cares about humanity. He cares about societies. 13.4, look back at the text, Romans 13.4. This might strike you. Going on, Paul says, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I want to point out two things in this verse. First, the he, the he is a reference to the rulers in verse 3 or the governing authorities, okay? It's a reference to the rulers or the governing authorities. And twice in this verse, verse 4, Paul refers to these rulers or governing authorities as what? Yeah, servants of God. In other translations of the Bible, instead of using the word servants, so for instance, the New American Standard Bible and the New King James Bible, they actually use the word ministers. It could be translated either way. Ministers of God, servants of God. So one writer says this, because he, that is the governing authority or ruler, represents the God-ordained institution of civil government, a civil official is actually a minister of God, regardless of his personal beliefs about or relation to God. He is doing the Lord's work, whether he realizes it or not, by promoting peace and safety among men. How do you view police officers, beloved? As servants or ministers of God? That is what they are. Now listen, that doesn't mean they are not without sin. That doesn't mean they are perfect. That doesn't mean that there aren't some who are corrupt to the core. It also doesn't mean that they can do whatever they want. They're servants of God. They're not God. God is the ultimate authority. They should be aware of that. Some of them need to be aware of that. But 
as they carry out God's purposes in promoting good and restraining evil, they are functioning as God's servants, and we should recognize them as such. See, that's... I don't know about you, beloved. I don't know what's happened, but when I was growing up, there was just, it seemed to be, more of a general respect for authority, period. And I have seen a major shift. Beloved, there's a movie out. Uh, I don't remember the title. It's by NWA. Uh, it's about NWA. This is a, uh, huh? Straight out of Compton. Now, I'm going to confess something to you. Before I was a true believer, I listened to NWA and a lot of other stuff. Uh, They're a rap group, popular back when I was younger. I can't even tell you the lyrics. I can't say them uh, from here because it would be entirely inappropriate. But... um, And I understand that there are corrupt cops, I get that. And I understand that there are racist cops, there's racist people all across the board, it goes both directions. But uh, the fact that this kind of group and these kind of people and those kind of song lyrics would be promoted is a terrible sign for our culture. It is an absolute disrespect for authority. It is certainly not bringing ourselves in subjection to Romans 13 and recognizing that God has instituted the governing authorities. Are there bad ones? You bet. Should they be rooted out? You bet. Should they be dealt with? Absolutely, justice should be served. But this general disregard for all authority and in your face, I'm going to do what I want to do, uh, is from the devil. had a cop walk into my home. The, uh, I think I told you this story. I don't know. I don't remember if I told you, but I accidentally dialed 911. That's not true. I dialed it on purpose, but I was trying to, um, I was trying to figure out if my speed dial was working. But I hung up right away, and, <laughs> and uh, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm smart, you know. Anyway, yeah, they knocked on my door like 10 minutes. So I, the lady called back, and I I'm like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. She's like, oh, okay, everyone's good in the house? Yeah, yeah, I was just dialing 911, click. <laughs> 10 minutes later, whoa, come on. There's a sheriff at my door. Anyway, he, I open the door immediately. I don't want him to pull out his gun. That's very intimidating. Um, but he comes in. But he was just sharing with me that he... You know, he's just, he's totally tense the whole time. He's standing there, you can tell. He's like looking around, you can tell he's ready to draw. I'm like, man, this is crazy. All I do, I'm just looking, my wife's sitting there, she's not being held hostage, she's fine. He doesn't even talk to me. He looks directly at her, thinking probably I'm a bad guy and maybe she dialed the number or something and I've hurt her and whatever. But you know, he, you could tell how tense he was. And then he was just expressing the general uh, feel of our nation right now and and how they're very concerned. They're, they're all concerned for their own safety. That shouldn't be. Governing authorities, uh, second, let me just say this, the governing authorities, the rulers, not only serve God and carry out his purposes by promoting good, but 
as we see here, they serve God through restraining evil. How? By punishing it. You know, again, this society kind of where we're moving towards is like, oh no, it's not okay to, to bring punishment or wrath. What are you talking about? That's exa- that is how God restrains evil in his world, in a fallen world, beloved. Listen, if we were all born again and perfected, because even born-again believers can do terrible things. But if we were all born again and perfected, which we will be in glory, then, then we won't have to worry about such things like restraining evil because there will be no evil. But until that day, there will be evil. And the only way to, to put a, a cap on it is to bring the wrath of God. You know, like dad used to say, oh, you wait till your dad gets home because he's going to bring the wrath of God on you, right? And kids used to know what that meant. But now it's like, oh, no, don't hurt Junior because I don't want him to grow up and be violent or angry. Don't worry, he will. (laughs) That's what sinners do. It's just, again, a disregard for the word of God. The culture is moving further and further away from what the word of God says. So they get all these crazy ideas about how to do this and how to do that and even how to raise their children. And beloved, it's all going to come back. You know, it's all going to come back. They'll see eventually bad decisions, bad decisions to move away from the word of God. But anyway, punish. And this is what Peter says as well in 1 Peter 2. So it's not like Paul's just like out there on his own. He's like, Dude, this guy's crazy, man. He's like giving way too much credit to the governing authorities and stuff. Nah, here's the Apostle Peter as well. And I read this to you, I think, a few weeks ago. Chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to what? Punish. And beloved, the punishment we have now in our society is way lighter. I'm just telling you. I mean, these were whippings and scourgings and public shamings, okay? Punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Hey, you might remember this. If you remember when we were in Romans 12, verses 19, uh, verse 19, just the section right before here, you might remember this passage. Beloved, Paul says, never avenge yourselves. Don't do it. No personal vendetta. You don't do it. Rather, you leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You go, well, how does that work itself out? Well, here's how it works itself out. I read this to you. We are to leave it to the wrath of God when we are uh, mistreated or something's done against us. And how is that wrath expressed? It is expressed now through the state's administration of justice, Romans 13. That's how we leave it to the government that God has instituted to deal with that wrongdoer. We don't take it into our own personal hands. Beloved, you see the wisdom in that? Can you imagine if every person, and some do, took it into their own hands to decide, I'm going to, you did me wrong, so I'm going to take it out, I'm going to deal with you. Instead of trusting the Lord and trusting his institutions and his sovereignty and his providence to bring about that justice. And beloved, if that justice is not fulfilled in this life, you can guarantee it will be in the next. Nothing gets lost on God. Paul in verse 4 of Romans 13 says, the ruler is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, that if you do wrong, you should be afraid because he does not bear the sword in vain. Do you see that? Now, what does that phrase mean? He does not bear the sword in vain. Okay, listen, for different reasons, 
like the fact that the sword is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of death. It certainly was in the ancient days. Because of that, another reason, some Bible scholars believe that Paul is referring specifically here to the right of the government to exercise capital punishment. Capital punishment, the death penalty. Let me say this. After studying it myself, I think this phrase is best understood to refer generally to the right and power of the government to punish those who violate its, its laws, okay? Which would certainly include the right of the state to exercise up to and including capital punishment when appropriate. By the way, if you think capital punishment is something that man made up, read Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. It was instituted by God. It is the highest punishment and penalty. And it was linked to the fact that man is made in the image of God. And for another man to destroy the image of God, he too shall be destroyed. Because God instituted that. Chapter 9, verse 6. Paul's point then is just simply this. It is foolish to do what the government or what displeases the government because the authorities, they have great punitive capacity. They do not bear the sword in vain. You know, like this, like the, the, the mom who goes, I'm serious, I am serious, I am counting to three, I am, and then you're going to get it, you're going to get it. One, two, three. Okay, I'm not kidding now, I'm not kidding. That's bearing the sword in vain, beloved. The government does not do that. They have the right and the ability to exercise punishment on wrongdoers, up to and including even the death penalty. So here's, we're out of time, of course, but here it is. Let me get to the end here. And this is kind of an important part for us. Look at verse 5. Beloved, I was just thinking in light of all this too, I was, you know, I am, I'm wrestling with it as well. I'm working through it and I'm thinking of... Like my own, our own government, and it makes me long for the perfect government that's coming. Okay, it certainly makes me long for that, where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on His throne. Okay, but until that day, there needs to be a reverence for those governing authorities that have been placed over me by God, and I'll trust Him in all these things even if they're not perfect, and they are not. They are not. Uh, But listen, 13.5, he says this, Therefore, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Okay, here's what Paul's doing. Therefore, he's summing up his teaching so far. Last four verses, he just explained now, he's saying, therefore... And he provides two reasons here for submitting to governing authorities. The first simply refers back to what Paul says about the punitive function of rulers that we just looked at in verses 3 through 4. Submit in order to avoid God's wrath. That's wise. That is the wrath that the governing authorities or servants of God inflict on wrongdoers. Submit to avoid that. Okay? That there are consequences for breaking the law is no doubt 
for many people, and I would say especially for the unbeliever, a significant reason that they do not break certain laws. They simply aren't willing to suffer the consequences. Do you understand? They're not willing to suffer them. And, and so they, they know there's punishment. They know there's harsh consequences. And so they, for that reason, primarily, do not break the law. And if that is the main thing motivating a person to submit to the governing authorities or be in subjection to them, then let me say this. If they think that they won't get caught, they may break the law. Huh? Assuming, of course, that the potential consequences are not great and or the risk of getting caught is low. Okay? So, like I told you last week, the, the, that lane on the freeway, the carpool lane, the carpool lane, I don't know what the fine is. I think it's 350, 400. I don't know. It keeps going up. But you, you're not supposed to go through the yellow lines, okay? So, ah, and not only that, you actually have to have more than one person in the car. And the other person cannot be in your womb. They tried that. There's two people. There's another. There's a person. And the other person cannot be a mannequin. I've read stories. So now I know that's the case. They actually have to be another human being, okay? Can't be your dog. Your dog's not a human being, just so you know. So they violate the law. Why? Because they know, worst case, it probably won't get caught because there's just not enough cops to patrol every single freeway and all the car. They probably won't get caught. And even if they do, what is it? 325 bucks, 350. They take the risk. You see that? So even though there's wrath associated with that, there's consequences, there's punishment, people who, who obey the law simply for that purpose will violate the law when the costs aren't high or when they think they can't get caught. You with me? By the way, that is a deterrent, and it's a good one, the fact that they know that there's consequences because for other crimes like, hey, if I uh, rob the bank and I use a gun, I'm probably going down for a while. I'm going to miss my kids, my wife, my life. It's over. I'll be locked up in a penitentiary. I don't want to be there. I hear terrible things happen there. You see what I'm saying? So I'm glad that that deterrent exists. Okay? I'm glad it exists, and God has incorporated it for that purpose. It does, to a great degree, restrain really terrible forms of evil just being laid out across our land. Okay? But listen, beloved, there's a greater reason Paul gives for living in subjection to the governing authorities, a greater reason here, and this reason would apply specifically to you, Christian, specifically to you and to me, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, And that reason, Paul says, is for the sake of conscience. For the sake of conscience. And conscience here, you can think of it as internal police. Internal police. One writer says, conscience refers here to the believer's knowledge of God's will and his purposes. The believer's knowledge of God's will and his purposes. Where are those in this context, where are God's will and his purposes found? Right up in verses 1 and 2. Right up in verses in 1 and 2. That is the fact that we are to submit to the governing authorities because we know now there is no authority except from God. And those governing authorities or rulers that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Ah, 
God's will, God's purposes. So the conscience that knows and believes this or the informed Christian mind, that's the one who can know it and believe it to be true. They know then that submitting themselves to the governing authorities or secular rulers is absolutely the right thing to do. Because God is the one who has appointed them. And likewise, they know that to oppose, resist, or rebel against the governing authorities is absolutely wrong. Because they are, in a very real sense, opposing God. Conscience. That's the greater reason, beloved. Do you understand the difference? So here you are. Again, I'm using driving, and it's probably a lame illustration over and over again, but it's just so common to all of us. But you pull up to a stop sign, right? Again, what's the fine for running a stop sign? I don't know. More than I want to pay for sure. A couple hundred. I don't know what it is, right? But, you know, I mean, if you've got the dough, maybe you take the risk. Unbeliever. Maybe you take the risk, unbeliever. But believer, informed Christian mind, you're not looking around going, any cops around? You know that God has established the governing authorities. You know to run that stop sign right now is to oppose those governing authorities that God has instituted and is in a very real sense then to oppose the very God that you say you have a relationship with, that you say you love, that you say you worship and honor and serve, you know that. For your own sake, for your conscience sake, you can't do it. You must not do it. You see the power of that? You literally then have a people, a society, that are, in a sense, being policed without any police present. Because God Almighty is working in them, has transformed them, and has informed their mind. And because their mind has been informed, they become transformed. And they become obedient and submissive to the governing authorities God has established. One translation puts it this way. Verse 5, you must obey the authorities, then you will not be punished. You must also obey them, because you know it is right. That is, the Christian knows it is right for all the reasons that Paul has just said up in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Live in light of God's word, beloved. If you do, if you do, if you're doing that, and I get it because this is what we do with anything, right? Concerning our conscience. Wow, already over time. Concerning our conscience, what do we do? We try to bury it. We try to, we try to you know, I don't want to hear you, conscience. I don't want to hear you. That informed mind who's telling us, no, this is not right. This is not good. This is, this is not according to God's word. This is not his will. This is not his purpose for your life. And when we do that, we go astray. We go off course fast. But it's hard to live like that as a Christian, beloved. It's hard to live like that. So Paul says, listen, don't just obey so that you can avoid getting punished, so that you can avoid getting locked up, so that you can avoid paying the fine. Obey for the sake of your conscience. Obey. 